Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. How are you? My name is Brian O'Sullivan. This is my podcast. It's the Creative Conversations podcast, and welcome to it. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for listening, you know, in general. I hope you're well. Um, it's a funny old time of year, isn't it? I mean, I know that sounds really trite, but the weather is, is definitely affecting me. Although, I am rehearsing in a place that doesn't really have heating, <laughs> so... Um, it's hard going and at first it's kind of like oh it's cold in here and uh, it's one thing being in a cold place and then going into a warm place you know shortly afterwards being in a cold place for a moment or an hour Um, but all day every day it's definitely taking its toll Um, it kind of gets into your bones and you're sort of it takes me a a couple of hours after work to to get heated up again Um, I'm not sort of coming on here to make a big complaint. I'm just, uh, I'm noticing that things like that and the, and the sort of quite dreary weather and stuff definitely has an impact on on everything, on the state of mind, but also the the work as well. Um, I'm throwing cables around here. It's nobody's business. Hold on. Anyway, never mind that. How are you? I just wanted to tell you about, first of all, my working uh, situation, but also... Um, I'm here on my own this week just chatting to you for episode 248 of the podcast and um I'm glad to be I'm glad to be still doing it. I thought it would be a good time to have a chat. Um it's good for me because I'm I'm tired and very busy and trying to do lots of different things on the one project at the same time and I'm finding it quite challenging. And I thought well maybe you know like I do I can sit here and I can talk to you about it and see you know, see what comes up. Um, so it's a musical that I've written called Oscar, and it's about a a guy who his his he writes music for a living, and his brother, who's also his music music writing partner, um, dies suddenly, and Oscar's kind of stuck, creatively stuck, and he wants to write a piece of music to commemorate his brother for his mother's his brother's memorial. Um, so the funeral's already happened, and his brother's been dead a, a couple of months, and uh, he decides before this this memorial service that they're having uh, to write something to commemorate the brother. He takes he ships a piano to a remote island to get some space to write this piece because he's stuck and he thinks maybe that'll help. And he meets there the the owner of the cottage that he's renting, who becomes his his landlord landlady, um, and they form this strange unlikely friendship. So it's kind of told through music and not just music, but it is a musical and. Um, yeah, so so it's a musical and I've written it and now I'm in it and I'm playing Oscar. But of course, because it's a musical, I'm also MDing it. Well, not of course. It's not a foregone conclusion that because I uh, wrote it, I'm MDing it. But as happens with these smaller productions, that's what's happening. So I'm, I'm the musical director as well. So if you can imagine now in a rehearsal room, trying to act and be the character... But also then thinking, wait a minute, does that line work? Should we change it? And then you kind of go, you put on your writer hat and you go, right, okay, well, let's change it. Uh, and then does that bit of the song work? We might need to rewrite it. Or then I'm making the backing tracks for the song because some of them are some of them are played live on the piano, which is in the space, um, but not all of them. So I'm also making these backing tracks, which is what I'm doing in the evenings and in the mornings before I go in. Um, so it's... It's challenging and it's so, I mean, 
you can't complain, really. I mean, I'm so delighted to get this show on. Um, to be asked to write a thing and, and to be able to be in it. Um, and for to have a guaranteed audience of people that will come and see it. There's so many great things and, and I don't have any complaints about that. Um, but I think we're allowed to notice our, our work situation and comment on it. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to moan like, oh, look at me, I've got jobs. I mean, that's absolutely not the case. Uh, I'm delighted and I'm, f- I'm honoured um, to, to be working at all, but to be working on something that's my own, it's great. Um, so it's just how to divide, I suppose. How do you divide yourself? Do you do, do, you do all of one job at a certain time uh, and then leave it and do another you know, go into the other role and do that, or or do you constantly split so that your your head is uh, all the things all the time a little bit? I don't know, because um, then it, it's hard to do one of the jobs uh, fully, isn't it? And one of the the one that I'm finding the most challenging is the acting. Um, I think I've spent so long with the script as the writer and the songs as the composer. Um, that I kind of didn't, I didn't think very much about what it would be like when I came to have to be an actor in the play, um, and it's been a while since I did anything like this, which is, um, well, I don't know if I've ever done anything like this—a a two-hander, um, which is a relatively serious play. Um, yeah, I, it's not something I've done a lot of. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's just an interesting challenge, and I'm finding that when I'm trying to do the other jobs, it's easy to slip into them and go, right, okay, I mean, sometimes I think, wouldn't it be nice to just to just MD this and just be watching out on the music and just be, that be my little slice over the pie. So I do that for a bit and I think, okay, cool, this is good. And then I go, okay, I need to leave that to one side now and go and do the other thing. Um, so it's interesting. And you would think, wouldn't you, that having such a, such a level of creative control over something might be seen as a positive, uh, you know, because I do, I do like that kind of uh, the decisions that need to be made, um, and having that kind of uh, singular vision, I suppose, um, feels nice. It feels valuable and um, an honor, you know, a, a privilege to be able to to see how you want this thing to be and then make the decisions that are attached to that from all different angles but I mean what it does is it kind of leaves the buck has to stop somewhere doesn't it and it, it kind of does feel like they all all roads lead to this idea of mine that you know I don't know I'm worried that it sounds like the the stuff I've just said is is you know woe is me because I've got all you know I'm such a mad creative genius or something. That's so not what I'm trying to trying to say. And I'm not forming it very well today. But um I think we we all can think about what it's like to do more than one thing on the same um project, can't we? Because we've all done we've all done jobs where there's not enough people to do the thing, so we end up doing an extra thing. Or a thing where um we might be acting but we also have to do X, Y, and Z, extra bits and bobs, um, and how do you divide your brain? And I suppose the other thing is that in, in this climate and in this country and in this industry, if you want to get something put on that's your own, there's, I think it'd be fair to say there's a good chance that if you 
do something else towards it or if you have another role in it if you can have multiple roles you might have a better chance of getting it on is that is that fair to say um or i don't know there's something yeah because because ultimately it's cheaper isn't it i mean if you think about it if someone wants to put something on and you're going to show up with the script and be in it and you know all that stuff then maybe that's a bonus i don't know let's think about a world where there was there was as much money as we needed for every production then you could outsource all of that couldn't you you could say right okay well i've written this thing now i'm going to go and cast you know some some superstar or whoever i think is the best person for the job unless unless of course i really wanted to do it myself um but then you would even if you even if you if it was me and i came up with all that music i would then go and hire a really excellent md so i didn't have to do it um I mean, I'm not doing it because I think I'm the best MD in the world. I'm doing it because I'm there. <laughs> it's just by necessity, isn't it? How much of what we do is by necessity. This feels very disjointed in my head, but that's what I'm doing. Is just, just think, thinking and sort of working through wee ideas with you. So that's where I'm at. I'm tired and um, um, I mean, I won't lie, I'm a bit frustrated uh, with myself um, because I don't think... I'm doing really the greatest job of any of the roles. I mean, have I ta- have I taken on too much? I don't know. Um, or is it maybe is it more than is actually possible? Is it is it not possible to do all these jobs to absolute tip top standard at the same time? Maybe it's physically, scientifically impossible. <laughs> I mean, unless you're you know Orson Welles or something. Um, but did you know that Orson Welles used to hire ambulances to travel around New York City? Because at the time, I don't, I'm sure it's not the case anymore, but at the time, if you hired an ambulance, if you paid the medical bill for an ambulance, you didn't have to be sick to be in it. Um, you're renting a vehicle. So he used to travel, apparently, he would, he would travel by emergency ambulance from one gig to the next because they would put the sirens on and he could get through the city quicker than any other mode of transport. So he would do radio plays all day, then he would get an ambulance to the theatre where he would be in a play at night and he, of course he would have also directed it and perhaps, I don't know, written it and whatever else. Um, so maybe that's the answer. Maybe I need to travel by ambulance and then everything would be alright. Um... So I don't know. I actually I don't know what the answer is, but I know what a lot of the questions are. Um, I'd love to talk to people about that. I mean, if you if you've got experience of that, then give me a shout because it'd be good to talk about that stuff. Um, there's a romantic idea, isn't there? That you know the 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 genius or whatever that word is, that person who does everything, you know, ch- uh, chief cook and bottom washer and all that. I think we've romanticised that, and actually, you know, it may be that. It's that's dangerous. It's a dangerous notion to romanticise because it's it might lead to some sort of burnout. Um, but it's if it's between that and not doing the thing, then what are you going to do? Of course you're going to do it, or of course I'm going to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just think sometimes what I do is I think about what would it be like if this. Well, it's like I said before, if there was an endless budget, or for example, if it, say it was in the West End, um, which I know doesn't mean endless budget, but it's certainly bigger, um, which of these roles would I actually choose to do? And I suppose, 
I suppose one of the other things that's been troubling me is that I think that the reason that I get to play this part is because I wrote it, not because I'm the best person for it. And I'm not saying that out of any kind of um, um, search for, I don't know, sympathy or compliments or whatever. Um, I mean, it's really not the kind of part that I would normally get if anybody else was casting. But the fact is that because I've, you know, I've decided that this is it and I've decided that I'm going to be in it, um, then I get to play the part. That's the only sort of um, credential I've got for it. Of course, that means that when I was writing it, I was thinking of of me playing it. Um, but would I, would I in any other situation be be asked to play that part? Probably not. Um, would I choose to if it was a bigger production? Yes. But then... How would it be? How would I how would I cope with all that other stuff? And how much of that other stuff would I choose to do? Don't know. Um, as I say, probably not MD. Um, and certainly not orchestrations and making backing tracks and all the rest of it. I would definitely wouldn't choose that, given the option. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it is fun, you know. Um, I discovered I, recently, a few months ago, I subscribed to East West, or I don't know if it's still called East West, but it's a, it's a virtual instrument library. So that means that it's... Um, to put it simply, it's a load of samples of real instruments that have been recorded and they become computer signals so that you can you can make your computer sound like real instruments and they're pretty high quality. But I didn't really know how to work it. I subscribed to it and promised myself that I was going to figure it out um, and I didn't. And then I turned the studio stuff on the other day and I just sort of stumbled back into it and found that it was a lot more simple than I had realised. So in this show, I've got some really nice sounding uh, instruments in the backing tracks, which I'd never knew that I could do before. Uh, so that's that's just a wee side note because, you know, the backing track thing, I do enjoy. I really do enjoy that. I mean, I wish I had more time, but it's fun um, creating something kind of out of nothing. And um, I, think, I think what I always thought when I was younger was if you were, making if you were orchestrating then you would make everything uh every instrument be in harmony with every other at all times but in fact i think a lot of the magic comes from the times when that's not happening that dissonance and maybe it resolves to something that that works in harmony or maybe it doesn't um maybe sometimes that that grace note is there and other times it isn't and the absence of it makes us feel something um so playing around with different instruments and then and then realizing where what what the voice of each of those instruments is, what the natural what the range of each of them is, and then how they sit with each other, um, it's great. I mean the difference if you record a piano track and then you add in a real sounding or a real cello, just a few notes, the difference in it is unbelievable. It just takes it to another level. Um, so that's a great joy. But I mean. I don't really like sitting up late doing it, you know, when I could be asleep. Um, do you ever think that maybe like you're, everything you're doing is really just ultimately geared towards you getting back into bed? Because that is definitely my thing. No matter what I'm doing, I'm kind of like, good, yeah, even if it's great. Um, at some point, I'm kind of like, right, so I do that and then I go and have dinner and then, then I can go to bed. <laughs> I've realised recently that my bed is probably my favourite place in the whole world. I don't know if that's sad, but I really enjoy it. So yeah, if I could be sleeping, 
I don't know there's, that there's many things that I'd want to do otherwise. Um, <laughs> I keep promising myself I'll have these days off where I don't get out of bed, but at a certain point I start to feel guilty and I just, oh, I better get up. But then I go back. I go back and I have a nap. So, yeah. Um, what am I talking about? I don't know. Um, but I'm I'm finding the days long and... As I say, I don't think the weather or the or the time of year helps. The light, you know, it's hard to... It's getting old, the fact that it's dark so early. and um, Yeah, rain on the roof. I mean, it's, it's so loud in this rehearsal room. This rain, it's weird. It's like, at some point when the rain gets loud enough, or when the rain gets heavy enough, we can't actually hear each other talking <laughs> when we're trying to do the play. Uh, which is quite funny. Anyway, I'm working with the amazing Kirsty Findlay, who has been on this show before. That's worth looking back into the archives for. And um, being directed by Shilpa T. Highland, who I've never worked with until now. And we're having a, just a blast with the two of them. Just easy and, you know, un, I don't want to say uncomplicated, because I don't mean that about the work. But, yeah, no dramas apart from the ones on stage, you know. Uh, just kind of get on with it have a few laughs and discuss everything. It feels like quite an equal, you know, three-way partnership type thing where we're just all chipping in and, yeah, it's great. And I think, I suppose if I had a tip, it would be for some situations where you're working on your own stuff, my tip would be to be as not precious as you possibly can be um, about your about your work, you know, because the fact is I've, I've worked on this play for a while and then as soon as I get it into a room and hear other people saying it or other people get a chance to listen to it I hear things and I go oh wait a minute maybe that's not right or if someone points that out I don't know I'm just more than more than willing to hear people's opinions and just go oh yeah you're you're right that doesn't even fit and sometimes you can't see that stuff more often you can't see that stuff when you're sitting on your own I get eventually a, what I would call snow blindness you know um I've worked on it for so long that I'm just like, I can't, I can't even tell us if it's any good anymore. <laughs> so when people sort of listen to it or work on it and say, maybe maybe that's not right, I'm just so willing to to hear that and make the changes. I do love cuts as well. I don't know how you feel about this, but I love making cuts. There's something about when I think, right, that'll make it even leaner. If we can trim it so that, you know, the less fat on it, the better, the less. So there's nothing extraneous Ideally, there's nothing extraneous in any scene or in any song in the whole play that it just does what it needs to do. Does it, um, what's the word, as as um, efficiently as it possibly can, and then it's done, you know. And that's what we're doing, I think, this week. Well, the, the whole time we've been rehearsing is a process, really, of whittling down what you've got. Um, and that's where the magic, I think, starts to happen. What we come in with, what I came in with was, was, I would, I would say it's a bag of ideas, really. Um, you know, with it, with a a rough through line, and a sense of what each character is and wants. But for me, and I can only speak for myself because I don't consider myself to be um, a high end uh, <coughs> writer or anything at all. For me, it's it's a I'm presenting you with a bag of ideas that I'd love you to have a go at shaping. You know, I don't know if that's asking too much of people, if I should be doing more, but I get to a certain point where I'm like, I don't know what to do with this anymore. I had an idea and I know kind of what I'm trying to do with it. Um, but at some point I just have to sort of drag the 
drag it to the door of these artists and go, right, what are we going to do with this now? Um, and that's, that is the process of rehearsing for me, you know, for a new, a new piece. Um, and it's certainly been that, just going, okay, here we go, uh, this is some stuff, how can we make it much clearer uh, and much leaner, more efficient, um, and and say exactly what it's, figure out what it's trying to say, and then say exactly that, and get the hell out, you know. Now, don't quote me on any of this, because maybe I change my mind next week, but that sounds like about, about what I'm at, I think. <laughs> I do love it, I really do. Um, but it's weird, I mean, it's, it is one of the hardest things, you know, if you don't count digging stuff and physical manual labour and nursing and <laughs> all the other things that are difficult, <laughs> like everything else. But um, let me rephrase that. I love it, but I find it very challenging. Um, and some days I just think, what is this? I mean, what am I doing, you know? Um, I like, I think I like the the latter part of a rehearsal process more than the beginning, I must say. Um, the beginning when it feels like we sort of simultaneously have nothing and way too much stuff on top of us. Um, that's that feeling that I'm not keen on. We've got nothing because we've not started, but we've got so much because we've not tapped into any of it. Um, that's scary and overwhelming and I think, oh God, I just want it to be done. Uh, I don't want it to be over, but I want this part of it to be done. So in the latter stages when what you're doing is honing something that you've already got, that's much more my bag. Taking something that you've you've figured out to some degree and then you're practicing it and trying to execute it to the best of your ability. And even better than that for me is the performing, is the is the coming in each day and doing doing the play and then trying maybe to to do it even better or to to hit it just bang on, you know, so that it's never the same twice. It can't be. I mean it's physically impossible. It's close, but it's never the same. And um, that process of, of repeating it, trying to get it right, or trying trying it ever so slightly differently to see if it lands just you know one line or one word uh, different than yesterday. I love all that, uh, and presenting it to another audience each time and saying, "Well, you know, what do you make of this? Or do you feel this too?" I suppose is the question. Do you identify with this? Um, I love all that. I love all that. And there are days doing it when I think, I might have mentioned this on the last episode, when I, was talk, I think I was talking to Laura Lovemore, I was saying there are days when I think before the show or you know slightly before it or during it, a wee thought will cross my mind, I'm not going to stick around after this. I'm going straight home. Um, like I don't want to see anybody. Now of course in an ideal world I wouldn't be having any other thoughts when I'm on stage. I'm going to level with you. They do come in. Um, but often it will be on the way to work or something. I think, do you know what, today I just can't, I just, it'll be enough just to do the play today and then I'll go and be on my own, you know. But invariably by the end of the play, I'm ready to see people because it's it changes you. Whatever the play is, it changes you. You're in a different place than you were when you started. Um like I said last week, it's good for what ails you. However you're feeling. 
you do tend to feel better. Now, I don't have any great experience of doing, um, you know, very, very heavy melodrama or tragedy that much. So I suppose I can't speak to that. But most things I've done, by the end, I feel a bit better than I did when I started. Um, I suppose that's true of taking any action, isn't it? If you don't feel right, you probably feel at least a little bit better if you go for a walk or if you drive somewhere, go and see someone, talk to someone else. It shifts. You, you make some little shift. Now, I'm not claiming to be able to cure clinical depression or any of that stuff. Um, but doing something, you make a shift, don't you? And I suppose on a very basic level, the doing of the play, that action is a shift, you know. So yeah, there are days when I think, right, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to go home. And I don't think I've ever actually done it yet. I think I've always popped my head in to say hello to somebody or whatever. I've never really properly snuck out and run away. <laughs> I'd like to try it sometime. People do it. I mean, plenty of people do it. Um, maybe I'm just too egotistical and I want to you know, walk through stage door and see if it's empty there. <laughs> Come on, we're all guilty of that. I'm sure we are. Um, see, what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm opening up to you. I'm telling you the truth. How about that? So, what else? What was I thinking about? I was listening to an interview with Tony Kushner last night and I was back to thinking about Angels in America. And he was talking about his process of writing and, and what kind of the types of things that he is moved by that that then make him want to write something new. And far from being inspiring to me, it actually made me feel like, yeah, I'm not a writer like that. <laughs> you know when you hear like, like what I would say proper writers talking, I would think, nah, no way am I that. <laughs> but what use is it to compare myself to somebody? Um, but we still do it, don't we? You know, and I think, I think, I do it as an actor as well, so I'm not going to say we do it, but I'll say I do it, um, where I think, yeah, I'm in shows and I pretend to be other people, but I'm not like an actor, like like they're an actor. Do you know what I mean? You look at someone like, they're a really serious actor, or they're a proper comedy actor, or whatever. Um, it's just it's just a multitude of ways, I think, that we all have to make ourselves feel less than we are, you know, to make yourself small. Uh I mean, some people claim that's a Scottish thing or a West of Scotland thing. Don't get too high above your station. Don't get too big for your boots. So we keep ourselves in a wee box. Lest we kind of expand too much and someone points it out. Oh, yeah, Mr. You know, Billy Big Bollocks over here. So maybe that's like an insurance policy against that. We just say, oh, I'll keep myself small and then no one can accuse me of getting too big. But, you know, you can't. I read it somewhere, you you can't be small enough to make someone else big. It doesn't work like that, you know? It's like you can't be depressed enough to make someone else happy. So there's no point. You might as well do your thing, you know, full out, and then let everyone else do their thing. I suppose that's it, isn't it? Do your thing. <laughs> there's always going to be people who disapprove of it anyway, right? You know, I did have that thought recently. You know how you, you know how you know things, but sometimes you you 
feel you viscerally know them suddenly. You go, oh yeah, I really know what that means now. I had it recently about that. Where I, I suddenly realised, wait a minute. I've tried so hard for years to be agreeable, to be loved, essentially, to be loved, right? For everyone to to be happy with everything I've done, to not upset anybody, and I've still managed to upset people, okay? Now, this is this is a truism. No matter what one individual does, they're never going to please everybody that they encounter. It's just not going to happen, okay? So, I thought about that, and I thought, well, even even though I tried really hard to please everybody because I want everybody to be happy, I don't want anyone to dislike me because I'm insecure and all that stuff, even though I tried so hard, still, it didn't work. So, what's the what's the outcome of that? What do we learn? Well, I learned that why if it's going to happen anyway, then you might as well not worry about it. So, I might as well do do me, do do my best me, Knowing that, you know, an old an old favourite, the people who mind don't matter, and the people who matter don't mind. So, I may as well I may as well do my thing, because I'm always going to upset people, whether I try to or try not to. You know, so it's wasted energy that trying desperately not to upset anyone ever. When you turn around after years of it and go, oh, but I still upset somebody. Oh well, <laughs> I may as well have just been enjoying myself doing things my way, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody. That was one of those recently where I just went, oh, that, I just, I don't know, it just dropped in. And I went, ah, I feel it, you know, in my gut for the first time. And the sad thing about those feelings is that 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 gut recognition of it doesn't last. Nothing lasts, of course, but, you know, you go, okay, so I know that now. Great. (laughs) I can proceed with that knowledge and that will make things better. But unfortunately what happens is that gut recognition, that fades a wee bit. To the point where you actually might even completely forget that learning. And then you can catch yourself again. Oh, there I go again. Trying to please everybody. Despite the fact that I know that I won't always. You know, I, I learned already that I should just do my thing. And don't hurt anybody. And be, you know, let the chips fall where they may or whatever that phrase is. I learned it already and I forgot it. <laughs> and it happens with everything. But that's why that's why we have to keep doing art art stuff. Because for me that's how I learn that stuff. To me, art and spirituality are not not very far apart at all. Or or they they intersect or they you know they're in the same Venn diagram for sure. Um so I have to keep doing stuff, uh, even being annoyed that I feel like I can't do it, um, being frustrated by it, trying again, trying differently, picking up wee bits along the way, because that's how I learn that fundamental stuff, or that's how I process that fundamental stuff. Um, without it, I don't know what happens. I mean, I suppose I would just... I would have to have something. You know, if I did a, a job that wasn't in any way artistic, there would have to be something else, wouldn't there? Maybe I would, you know, like, become a Buddhist or take up some radical breathing practice or meditation or something. I don't know. I don't know. 
um, to somehow process my experience in the world. But it's like I've always said that that's for me. That's what art is 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 a way to process our experience. And I think that's true as as an artist and as a as an onlooker or an audience member or a consumer of art, if I can use that horrible word. Um. Because when I go to the theatre, when I'm an audience member, it's a way for me to reflect on things, to see things differently, to see myself but differently, or to see how other people are and what makes them tick. I mean, all, all manner of things that I've said millions of times on this show before. But yeah, even as an audience member, it's a way to process my experience. And I do it through listening to music as well, playing music, um, watching anything, films, TV, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, why am I saying that? Because I was talking about that bit of learning about trying to please everybody. And um, that stuff's brought to the fore when I'm doing something like I'm doing just now because I'm trying to, not that particular lesson, but that sense of, of deep spiritual learning is very present right now because I feel like in every moment I'm learning and relearning how to how to be an actor how not to be an actor I'm learning a lot about that um and it just keeps coming back round at me hitting me again and again as if okay you've not learned that lesson yet so you need it taught to you again <laughs> off you go back into back into a show where you you're not sure you're right for it and you're not sure you can do it go and do it um find a way through it and then come back and report to your whatever to your higher self and say all right well i guess i did it you know i was pleased with it i wasn't pleased with it or i learned something um i hope that's making sense it's barely making sense to me but I'm, there's something in there it's made me feel having having this conversation with with you has made me feel like what I'm doing just now is worthwhile, if only, or at least for my own development as an artist. But it has to be more than that, doesn't it? Because this is not for me; it's for the audience. So through the process of trying to make something good, that is of a high quality that that people in the audience can relate to. Um, see themselves in, or think about you know process their experience in, as I've mentioned through the through the process of making that thing, we develop ourselves as artists, hopefully, hopefully, and we come out of it um, somehow changed and hopefully better in some way. Gosh, wow! Didn't know I was going to talk about any of that. But that was good, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Feels good. Um, so yes, Oscar, a new musical, opens on Monday coming, the 14th of February, and um, it runs for a week at Play Pine a Pint or more. And then two weeks after that Monday, it opens at the Traverse Theatre and runs for a week. No, two weeks and a day. So it, it opens on Tuesday the 22nd. No, that's not right at all. 1st of March. That's what it is. So let me just reiterate that because that was a rubbish trail. On the 14th of February, Oscar opens at Play Pie and a Pint or a Moore in Glasgow. And on Tuesday the 1st of March till the 5th, it runs at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh. So do come and see it. 
Uh, I'm playing Oscar, and Kirsty Finlay is truly amazing as Miriam. And it's directed by Shelpa T. Highland, and um, my big thanks go to the good people at Play Pie and a Pint for um, giving a, taking a punt on me again, for believing in me. And I'm looking forward to getting it in front of an audience. Um, it's terrifying, terrifying. Of course it is, but what's not? You know, this is, it all is, in its own weird way. But I wouldn't, you know, I don't want it any other way, really. What's the alternative to not, to not be out of your comfort zone ever and just I don't know I think I would wither and die <laughs> creatively and possibly physically I don't know it's unthinkable I've got to keep going and going you know through every day going wait a minute is this right am I doing this right <laughs> I don't know you've caught me on a day where I'm very I'm a bit all over the place about how I feel about this job um, and about my place in it all and all that stuff so it's probably a good time to, to have talked to you to kind of start to as I keep saying process some of that experience um yeah yeah I've also got some really exciting guests coming up I'm looking forward to bringing you um and there were a couple of occasions where I, I might have had one of those guests here today or yesterday uh, for this episode and by you know whatever twists of fate that's not come out so it's given me this opportunity to just to just talk to you which it feels like I probably needed gosh is this like therapy now (laughs) am I just doing (laughs) save me a fortune this don't need a therapist just talk on my wee podcast um yeah I recommend that interview with Tony Kushner as well it's on WTF Mark Maron's podcast a great if you've not um listened to it's a great long-form interview podcast with it started out as mostly comedians talking to him uh, but then over the years it's got bigger and bigger and he's got huge names actors writers directors um and and the occasional someone else from a different walk of life i mean he had obama on there at one point but yeah uh, tony kushner is is the current the most recent episode and as you'll know he wrote um, angels in america amongst other stuff for theater but also recently the new version of West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg directed version of West Side Story, which I've not seen yet. Um, so yeah, a writer that I admire a lot and these long conversations, I think there's a lot to be said for them. I think, in a strange way, I think we, in in today's society, we're really used to small, uh, short form things and I think people, some people think that that's all we can handle. Um, short videos, TikTok and stuff like that, which I do love. Um, but it's easy to forget that we're actually getting on the other hand very used to long form stuff and and a lot of people are really into that Um, people play Dungeons and Dragons for hours on end just an example that popped into my head podcasts mostly are not little bite sized things they're usually long uh, especially interview ones and I like those ones and you sort of sit into it Um. In recent years, a lot of a lot of popular fiction has been long. We watch seasons of shows that go on for 20, 24 episodes, an hour each, you know. Um, and even in theatre, you know, I'm sure you've noticed, there's been a trend towards plays in multiple parts. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is in two parts. The James plays, me and a few of my pals were in it. Three separate plays, all performed back to back. Um... 
and that I, that same feeling I get from reading a long book. There's there is something about that. It's kind of like the creative equivalent of a long haul flight. You sit down in that seat on that plane to continue the metaphor, and you. Well, I know that I'm going to be in that seat for a long time, and that resistance to that is definitely futile. So there's no point in me going, oh my god, I'm going to be here for ages. I need to pace up and down and stretch my legs all the time. And I just give in to it, to this. The, this is the way things are. Um, and I'm, that doesn't marry up perfectly with the long-form theatre or novel. Like, I don't have to give in and go, oh, well, this is just the way it is. But the acceptance and the going, well, this is as long as it is, and this as long as it is as long as it takes, there's something in that. Um, when I sit down with a long book, there is a bit of me that goes, well, okay, so I'm not going to get this finished today. And that does somewhat take the pressure off because there's definitely a little part of my brain when I pick up a novel that's 250 pages and I start reading or get through a few pages, I think, here, I could smash this today. (laughs) And then that would be that done. And I suppose the next thought is then I could go to my bed. (laughs) I don't know why. You know, I want to get the... You want to get things finished, don't you? It's, It's weird human nature. Tick that off, done. You know, to have read seems to be more interesting to some people than to read. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel like I can draw a comparison between all this long-form stuff and, and long-haul flights. Um, so why did I say that? Because of Tony Kushner, was it? No, podcasts? I don't know. Anyway, I like I do like stuff like that. To sit into it, you know, and let it be and let it wash over you and things like that. Um I mean, I've said many times what how I loved Angels in America. There's bits of it I just don't that totally, you know, snooker me. But um, just the sheer, I suppose, the scale of it, I really love the the breadth of it. You know, um, the ambition of something like that to to do so much and to go so deep um, and to try and capture an era which I think is is really one of its kind of feels like one of its aims to capture a moment that was a whole era you know the AIDS crisis in America um, and how that perfectly times out with the way politics were in America at the time you know um, that's some of the stuff I love about it I love the idea that someone could sit down and write something of such a scale. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. It. When I think what I had to go through to write, firstly, a one-person play last year and then a two-hander this year, what like what I've put myself through for those, and both of them were under an hour in length, the very thought of someone even considering embarking on writing two, three or four-hour plays, you know, with, with a dozen characters or more, um, and then magical realism and just the scale of it. I can't. I'd love to live inside that head, or to or to read. I mean, I would love if Kushner had written a book about doing that, <laughs> as if he needed any more work at the time. But can you imagine, or a diary of someone writing something on, on that epic scale? There must be books like that that I've not read. Diaries of artists working on really big scale things if you know any of those and this is a genuine call out they all are but really is give me a shout because that's that kind of thing really i love 
And if you're interested in that kind of thing, I definitely would recommend uh, Simon Gray's diaries. Um, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen any of his plays, but I love his diaries. Most of them written probably in the 70s and 80s. Um, and a lot of them are diaries of the time of him finishing writing and then during the production of one of his plays. So not so much in the writing, but a lot in the rewriting time and a lot in the kind of in rehearsal as the writer sitting at the back, smoking and drinking as he did for most of his years. Um, but yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have read a Kushner one. So if you've any thoughts on that, give me a shout. And if you want to shout me about anything, Brian at puttingittogethercast.com or you can follow us, remember, on social media, Pod on Instagram and Twitter and just search Putting It Together on Facebook. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode and you think it's worth something and this project in general is worth a few of your extra pennies, then why don't you consider chipping in to keep uh, this podcast going? Um, It's brought to you for free and we'll keep bringing it to you for free. but it'd be nice to, to cover some of the running costs. And if you can afford to help us do it, we'd really appreciate it. So you just go to the main website of the show, puttingittogethercast.com, click on donate and give us anything that you can afford to. Um, and you might even want to make, make that a regular monthly donation, a couple of quid. Imagine you're buying me a coffee in a theatre bar somewhere, somewhere in the future when we're all together again in some theatre bar. Um, so yeah, putting it together, cast.com and click on donate. It's really as simple as that. Um, and thanks for listening, by the way. This has been really good for me. Um, I hope it's been, I hope it's not just been me, it's been good for. <laughs> so otherwise it would be so indulgent. And if you've any recommendations of books like that, please do uh, give me a shout. The Simon Gray ones I'm thinking about in particular are, um, one of them's called An Unnatural Pursuit. That's a really good one. And How's That for Telling Him Fat Lady is another one, I think. And then the later ones are less about theatre and more about just his life, but they are very good. Enter a Fox. And then The Smoking Diaries, which are his last few, a sort of trilogy towards the end of his life. Um, the last one he wrote in the in the year that he was given to live after, a, after I think, a cancer diagnosis when he had to stop smoking... Um, and he wrote a diary kind of on his way out, really. It's called Coda. Very sweet. Um, a great writer. So, yeah, that's my tip for the week. Um, and if you've any, you just give me a shout. Not that I'm reading. I mean, I've had a book at the side of my bed for months and I've barely opened it. And I'm so tempted to go on to other books because other unopened new books seem much more exciting than the ones I'm currently reading. What's that about? Um that must be some weird psychological thing. Anyway, this has been great. Thank you for listening to me. Um, and keep in touch. Keep listening. Tell your pals. Um, unless, of course, you thought it was crap. In which case, keep shtum. Thank you very much. So, I Give us a follow on social media. Give us a shout. And come back next week and hear our new episode. This is episode number 248. So, we'll think of some nice thing to do to celebrate episode 250, which is coming up in just two weeks. And uh, between now and then, just go back into the archives because we've got over 200 episodes there available for free uh, and they will remain free. But in the meantime, if you do want to chip something in, remember, just go to puttingittogethercast.com and click on donate. Dead easy. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe. Breathe deep. Drink your water. Cheerio now. <laughs>